there. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Jasmine Star Show. I'm so happy you're here. You might remember a few weeks ago, I recorded a podcast answering questions that I had received from my text community. And at the end, I asked you to shoot me a text or a DM if you enjoyed the episode and you wanted to hear more. Well, y'all really understood the assignment because I heard from so many people and they said they really liked it. And Listen, if you don't like these Q&As, no problem. Let us know. I literally never, I've never connected. I'm completely disassociated from when somebody is saying that they like or dislike something about the podcast. I don't look at the podcast content and associate it with me, Jasmine, as a human. I look at my podcast, I look at the content we create, I look at the social posts as something that I've created but it is not of me. So if you happen to say, I don't like the format of these podcasts so much, I'm not like, mm, rude. No, I was just like, thank you. Like, I really want to create stuff that people love and that people find helpful. So in case you hadn't heard the last one, I'll link in the show notes for you to go back and, and tune into because people really liked that I didn't have a script and I was just kind of going off on my initial thoughts. I texted members. Okay, so I'll go back and give a bit brief recap. I texted members of my text community telling them to ask me anything from business to my personal life to everything in between. And here's the caveat. On that day, I had sent that text message. And on that day, I didn't look at my text messages before I was responding. I had my podcast producer, Christy, choose questions to answer. And she had said, Jasmine, we had a lot of great questions. Based on the feedback from the last episode, then we can assess if we should do another one of these. Well, guess what? We got pretty solid feedback. So she's like, let's do one of these. So here we are. She said... Don't look at the questions. We want you answering in real time. So that's that's what we're doing. I haven't seen these questions. I haven't planned out responses. So you're getting my raw, real-time advice. So let's dive in. Gabrielle asked, how do you know if challenges are telling you it's time to push harder, to pivot, to quit, or to start over? Hmm. Dang, y'all are hitting me. Y'all, it's 5.01 in the morning. You guys are coming in hot. Okay, so I want to make sure and preface this by saying you can ask somebody else this exact question and you might get it answered 10 different ways. I am just going to share how I would answer it because yes, I don't face challenges monthly or weekly. I face challenges daily. Like the time of this recording Yesterday, I was having a really good business day. I was like getting work done. I saw my therapist. I was banging out content. I was making plans. And then quite honestly, five minutes before my work day ends, with my husband and my daughter putting on their jackets to go to dinner, I get a phone call. And I get this phone call and it's just not the best news. It's stuff that I have to do in the business. It's conversations that I have to have with people that I don't want to have. That's the hard part. Those are challenges. And challenges come up every single day. So if for some reason anybody's listening and they think that challenges don't exist within business or the longer you've been doing it, like the challenges dissipate, disappear, or lessen, I'm here to tell you they don't. The challenges increase and the veracity and the velocity and the strength of them increase. I once read a quote that had said, the things you're going through today will soon in the future 
simply be a warm up to what you face in the future. Ooh, what you think is hard now, like what you get through, that in the future, you're going to look at that and be like, that was just a warm up. In the future, you're going to look at what you're going through right now and you're going to say, I wish my problems were that easy. Mm. So, Gabrielle, how do I know if the challenges are telling me to push harder, to pivot, to quit, or to start over? It's how bad I want to pursue the thing I am working on in that moment. How bad, how much do I ache to make the thing I'm working on successful? Because that is in proportion to how willing I am to sit in the suck of the challenge. Now, there have been things, there have been plenty of things where I just didn't know if I really wanted it. And so when the challenges presented themselves, you know, I was like, this, listen, I don't want it. This ain't worth it for me. Mm-mm. So that's the core of my answer, Gabrielle. How bad do you want the thing that you're working on right now? And how long are you willing to sit in the suck of the challenges and find a way to make it work? I don't have the answer to how bad you want it, but that's exactly how I approach things in my life when I'm facing a challenge that at the time seems rather insurmountable. I wish you the best. Keep your head up. Okay, Renee, how do I find the original voiceovers that people use on their reels? Do I need to be on TikTok? Thank you. Oh, I I see. Okay, so this is more of like a tactical logistical question. And okay, the answer is yes and no. TikTok has such a head start over Instagram reels in the amount of audio content that people are creating organically. But Instagram is so quickly catching up that it's it's neither here nor there. So when you're looking at a reel and you happen to like that audio, in the lower right-hand corner, you'll see almost like a circular device and it has like little music notes coming this from it. I'm talking specifically about Instagram reels. If you click on that, it will tell you the original audio file. Now, that original file will exist native within the app. So if somebody created an Instagram reel in Instagram and then use that audio, you will be able to reverse that audio. Now, for anything on TikTok where somebody had created a voiceover on TikTok, those TikTok audio tracks don't transfer over to Instagram Reels. So then what I have noticed, something that I do is I will create something in TikTok based on an audio on TikTok. And then I will go to a website called Musically Down, M-U-S-I-C-A-L-L-Y-D-O-W-N.com. So then you get the URL you place it inside of their search and then it will export an MP4 file. That MP4 file, it's basically, you know, your video audio. That is what you upload to Reels. Now, when you take it to Musical.ly Down, it's removing the TikTok logo. So what you get is just audio and visual. And so oftentimes if I create something in TikTok from an audio on TikTok, it will strip that information. I don't I wish it didn't strip that information because the information to the original source creator is so stinking helpful. And so once I upload it to Reels, I would then add the creator, like whoever that sound came from on TikTok. I hope that they have an Instagram account so that you can give appropriate credit. And sometimes it just doesn't work like that. 
So there's a lot of moving pieces. And then sometimes on TikTok, somebody will use a sound and it comes across as like their original audio. So even if you go back to that original audio, you don't actually know who the originator of that was. So one time I was just like, no, there is this sound. Oh, oh, it was an Instagram reel. And I created it on TikTok because the sound only existed on TikTok. And you hear, and it, it was weird because you hear like this like low like bass beat, it's like boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden it's like, no, you don't get it. I'm obsessed. And I was just like, where is this coming from? Like, where did this sound come from? Because it came from somebody snipping that sound. Like they got that sound from somewhere and it wasn't that person because the person's account who I traced that sound back to was like a young guy. And I'm like, no, 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 this is a girl's voice who actually said this. So then I went on a stinking Google chase and I'm like, I want to find who says this because I know this voice, but it sounds odd. So Google search, Google search, Google search. I end up searching a few videos on YouTube and I come across the clip and it is some random Jakey like iPhone small little tiny tidbit from Nicki Minaj in a recording session. So it's not even like legit video. Somebody who just happened to be in the recording studio and it was like super grainy. And then all she's listening to like the low, like lick of a song and it's like, boom, boom, boom. She's like, and then they, they paused it and then she looks and she's like, no, you don't get it. I'm obsessed. And that was that sound clip. So it was just like freaking 48 minutes later, I'm trying to find this obscure sound to attribute proper credit. So sometimes the internet is just so heavy with content. And I try to do the best of my ability to attribute credit to where it came from. And sometimes people are just pulling audio from some random source that they put on TikTok that's not really existing in Instagram until you go and upload it from TikTok and then hopefully attribute credit back to the TikToker. Now, I think that I just geeked out, y'all. This sounds so nerdy. If you're still here with this podcast and you're like, I hate when she talks about TikTok and Reels. I know, I know. But listen, I'm a practitioner. I literally do the things I ask other business owners to do. And that's to create. And to the best of my ability, I really want to do and cite the proper creator. And then sometimes the internet makes it wildly difficult. Okay, Jennifer. I mean, y'all, like, <laughs> Christy, should we actually answer these tactical questions? Are people bored to death? Uh, Jennifer, I would love to know, how do you manage having clients, recording videos, being a wife and a mom at the same time? Um, you know, Jennifer, if we decide to do a future Q&A session, I would love if people got a lot more specific with their questions because this is a very broad question and I'm going to answer it the best of my ability, but I've noticed that when questions get super specific, my answers get super specific. So how do I manage being a CEO and a mom and a podcast host and a creator and a content producer and a creative and an educator? I want to be very clear that I don't take pride in being busy and I don't take pride in having lots to do all the time. And I don't take pride in, I'm always plugged in. I respond to everything all the time. I'm a robot. I don't. I don't. What I do know is that I'm very, very, very disciplined when it comes to work. That's just it. I'm very disciplined. 
very disciplined. Every morning, my body wakes up. I don't have an alarm. And I've said this before, but I'm going to keep on saying it so people hear it very clearly. My body wakes up at 4.30 in the morning. Do I think everybody needs to wake up at 4.30 in the morning? No, not at all. That's when I wake up. And that's when my mind is firing at maximum capacity, which is when I like to record my podcast. I wake up at 4.30 every morning. I pray, I read, I meditate. I just have some me time with no digital devices. I have coffee. Speaking of coffee, hang on, let me have a little sip. Mm. I make myself some coffee. The house is dark and quiet and I just get to work uninterrupted. So... How do I balance all of that? I have a Google Calendar that has everything I need to do that day. I have tasks. We use a task management software called Asana. Everything that is related to what I need to do on that day is in Asana. And there are times associated with those tasks. So for instance, I have to record this podcast today, and then there's denoted how long my podcast producer thinks that I'm going to be recording it. I am going to be working out for an hour today, but it takes me 15 minutes to get to the gym and 15 minutes to get home. So in totality, my workout is an hour and a half. I also want to make my daughter breakfast, but she wakes up at 7 a.m. on the dot every morning. So I need to be home at 6.40 in the morning, already making breakfast. So it's nice and warm and her juice is ready and her high chair is set up. Then I pick her, then I go to her room, dress her for the day. Oh, she's potty training. So potty train, dress her for the day, get her in breakfast, sit with her, sing songs, read books. And then by 8 a.m., we get support. Either JD takes the baby and he is responsible for a chunk of hours during the day where I am head down doing the work. If he is busy and I am busy, then we either bring in a family member or a babysitter to help lift the load. I am a working mom. I am not a mom who works. During standard business hours, my priority is to work. Now, this decision is not for everybody. And it's not even like a capacity for a lot of people. I know that getting support from our families, I know that getting support from babysitters, I know that that's a luxury. I know that. I also know that I had a child later in life. And having a child didn't work out the way that we expected. So we had a few years to save money and actually have conversations around what our work life was going to be. And so as we got into the adoption process, we had conversations of understanding that I want to work from home and I want to work in the home where my daughter is. Whether I will be responsible for her needs during standard working business hours, that's not my priority during standard business hours. Now, there are times where I'm in a meeting and my daughter comes in and it's, a, it's like a, a Zoom meeting and she comes in. I do not tell her to leave. As long as she's respectful and quiet, she can come. She can sit on my lap. She shows me her toys. She shows me her books and I continue on with my meetings and then she leaves. It's so lovely to have snack time with her. It's so lovely to have lunch time with her. It's so lovely like when I need a brain break to go and like read her a book or dance to a song. That's a luxury that I get to have. I also know that I've put in a support structure that empowers me to work like I have a full-time job because I have a full-time job. Yesterday, I ended my day at 5 p.m. and I did not finish everything I needed to get done. But ending at 5 p.m. was so important to me because I wanted to spend time with my daughter, 
we had planned to go out to dinner. It's shabu shabu. If you don't know what shabu shabu is, y'all, mm, it's like this Japanese soup where everything is deconstructed and then you just put what you want to cook in the pot. Luna is fascinated with it. She thinks it's like a big adventure. And that was like our top priority. So everything stopped at five. We went out to dinner. JD wanted to get donuts. I said, no, we, we cannot get donuts because abs are made in the kitchen. Uh, so then we went and I passed off. I dropped off dinner at a friend. She just had a baby. Dropped off dinner for her, came home, bathed, showered, read Luna her book, had a good dance. Um, we're pretty stringent about her bedtime. Like she wants to go to bed at 7 p.m. So by 7 p.m., the lights are out. I'm rocking her to bed. And I think, my God, that is the greatest luxury that I get to rock my daughter to bed every single night. And then I tuck her in. And I had a few things to do. And I asked my husband, I'm like, hey, is it cool? I'm going to go and catch up and work. So from 724 to 745, I cranked out the remainder parts of my tasks. Then I sat on the couch with my husband and we thought we would like watch TV. And about 10 minutes into it, we're like, this is not interesting. So I went back to bed. I pulled out a book. He had a long day taking care of Luna. So he just crashed out like early. It was like 930. I'm reading and I read for like 30, 40 minutes turned off the light, got up this morning at 4.30. How do I balance it all? Having a schedule, making sure that I have clear communication with my partner about what's expected of me as a mom, as a partner, but specifically as a full-time working mom from home, and also giving myself grace and prioritizing that there are some days that I can finish it all and there are some days that I can't. And I'm making sure that I'm connecting with my partner about those parameters. Wendy, what was your detailed process to transitioning from your full-time job to an award-winning photographer and then from a photographer to a CEO of Social Curator? Your detailed process of transitioning from your full-time job. Uh, okay, so uh, let's go back in time. Whoosh. That's my sound effect because we get out here. Um, I actually wasn't working full-time before I transitioned to being a full-time photographer. I had dropped out of law school and I knew I needed a job, but I also knew that I wanted flexibility to figure out what my next big thing was. And so I was working three days a week. I was working part-time. And so two days a week, I was able to dedicate fully to figuring out this whole photography thing. So two days a week plus the weekends. So I was working on my side hustle three to four days a week, which all things considered is not that bad. So I was doing a ton of practice. I would drive wherever to, to like intern or get mentored by photographers. I would join free photo shoots. I was part of photography forums. And whenever people got together, I would be like, I want to go. I just want to be around the photographers in the photography world. And that's what I focused on. It took me about a year to fully transition from my part-time job to my full-time career as a photographer. And how I did that was to calculate how much money I was making in my part-time job, which actually wasn't very much at all. However, that part-time job included health insurance. So it wasn't just the amount of money that I was making in a paycheck. It was also the amount of money that I would also have to come up with to cover our health insurance, myself and my husband. So I calculated those costs. And then every time I booked a client, I would put that money into a savings account. And the minute I saved up the same amount that I would make from my current part-time job and the cost of insurance, like the minute I made that, the minute I saved that, then I was like, okay, 
I'm ready to pursue photography full-time because as long as I have the money to pay my bills for a year, then I feel good about pursuing this. And I actually, I actually, when I think back to who that person was, I'm really proud of her for making a very strategic decision without knowing anybody who's ever started a business, without anybody who's ever paid for everything in their business cash. And that was something that I believed with. My family struggled a lot with money in the beginning. And it's not because they were naive. It, nobody, my, my father's an immigrant from Mexico and my mom came from Puerto Rico and their parents worked I wouldn't even say blue collar jobs, like like baby blue collar jobs, you know, like the janitors, the housekeepers, the gardeners. And I don't think that their parents had conversations with them, even about money, much less about creating wealth. And so here I was starting a business, not knowing a single person who had ever started a business. And I had a weird relationship with money. And so in my mind, I'm like, I ain't getting in debt. I've seen my parents lose houses. We couldn't afford cars. Like there was a lot of stuff going on. So I said, if I start a business, I want to pay for my gear in cash. I want to save up enough money so it's not a risk. And um, that's how I was able to to transition to full-time photography. And then the income that I made from photography acted as a foundation for every other business iteration. So I got to sharpen my teeth as a professional speaker because I, I was getting funded for my photography. I was able to create online courses. And yes, it was a risk because you spend all this time and money and energy into creating a course. And then all of a sudden, like people are like, well, how did you make money from it? I'm like, well, I didn't need to make money from that course because I was making money from photography. When I started consulting, um, in addition to creating these courses, I was, I was doing business consulting and I absolutely loved it, but it was a very short ladder. It was lucrative. I was making money, but I actually couldn't say, I couldn't think of like, okay, well, there's only 24 hours in a day and how much time am I going to spend consulting? And sure, I could raise my consulting rates, but like there is a limit to how much I can actually give. And so every time I was pivoting to each iteration of my career, then I wanted to start like a membership. What did a membership look like? It was photography that was the through line that funded everything. And it was a principle that I had practiced in my part-time job days is can I save up enough cash to give me the luxury of exploration of a new project without risking safety and security and responsibilities that I have to my family. And so when I finally transitioned away from photography and to be a full-time CEO of Social Curator, that was a big risk. Because so much of what I had been done and so much of our revenue was tied to photography. You know, people are like, yeah, but Jasmine, you were just a photographer. Right. But photography was the golden egg. It was the financial golden egg because it wasn't just that we were making multiple six figures from our clients. We were. It was very lucrative for us. And I am so indebted to these clients who paid, who invested so much in my services for their wedding day. Indebted. I was also having revenue streams from editors or art directors for large-scale shoots that I was doing. That's a revenue stream. I was also creating educational content for photographers. That was a revenue stream. I was also creating template resources for photographers. That was a revenue stream. And so I don't actually talk about all like the little pipelines that photography had led into creating cash revenue for my business as I created something else. So when we started Social Curator, it was funded by my photography business. I didn't have to take a loan. I didn't have to go to investors. I didn't have to go to angel investors or friends and family to start sourcing money. It was liquid cash on the back of my photography career. So when we talk about the investment of Social Curator, it's so tied to who I am as a photographer 
And I'm so thankful for this opportunity to actually talk and be very open around what cash does for a business owner. Cash gives business owners options. And so as we go through this process, and I'm at a weird kind of place in my life and business because I'm all in with a social curator and I'm all in with creating courses for social curator and I'm all in in creating resources and templates and like there's just so many things I want to do within it. And when you push all your chips in the table, you're kind of like, hmm. So let's loop back to that question that Gabrielle had asked when she's like, how do you know if challenges are telling you to push harder, pivot, or quit? And I'm just like, honey, when all your chips on the table, you have one option. Keep playing the hand you dealt. Okay, so Devon, how did you decide between a course or a membership for your paid content? I am in both Social Curator and Selling on Social, and they're both excellent. About to revamp my course and wondering if a membership model might be a better fit. How did you decide? Ooh. Okay, I want you to connect, follow, just carefully pay attention to a gentleman by the name of Stu McLaren. M-C-C-L-A-R-E-N. Stu McLaren. I have learned so much about the the defining factor of choosing a membership versus a course. Now, my iteration as a business owner was people wanted more in-depth content around certain topics. And a course was such a great fit for that. And so I started off in the course world, but then I started realizing that I was creating a course around content that always changed. So my early, early day courses, it was an Instagram, like how to use Instagram for business. It was building a brand and marketing on social media. These were all courses, but social media was changing so often that I had a conversation with Stu and I'm like, I'm always updating this course and it just feels like I'm pouring so much work into a course. And he said, Jasmine, a membership would be such a great thing because membership content is dripped out on a monthly basis and you can change and iterate. So social curators started off as a membership and it was such a good decision for my business. However, I realized that the membership was limited because what our users needed was the technology to use social curator as a digital marketing agency in their pocket. AKA people needed tech. They wanted to be able to plan their post and then push their post out. They wanted to be able to create content on the inside of Social Curator and then use that as part of marketing. So we had the Canva integrations when it came to like our Instagram story slides. And so all of a sudden I realized that we needed tech. So Social Curator, the time of this recording, is not a membership. We are a SaaS company, software as a service. We are a subscription because we're now fully built on our own tech stack and we're going to be iterating. I cannot wait to showcase and share the features that we're dropping in 2022. It's going to be mind-blowing. Like we're an entirely different company. Let's go back to how did I decide? Well, I decided specifically for the content that I was creating, aka social media marketing and branding resources, was that it made sense for me to drip out content on a monthly basis so that it was fresh, it was relevant, it was valuable, as opposed to a course that kind of stayed stagnant for a year as the platforms were changing. Siva, I noticed you never recommend delegating the whole social media thing to a VA. Why is that? Or could I? So Siva and anybody else who's interested, let me say it very clearly. Absolutely outsource things in your business that are heavy, that you don't have time for, that you don't like. I 
want to make it very clear that before you delegate anything to a virtual assistant, social media, customer service, content creation, scheduling and planning, anything, you must have a system in place before you turn it over. What I see so many small and medium-sized businesses do is delegate to a social media manager, delegate to a virtual assistant. And then they say, okay, so this is my social media. This is what I do. Um, This is like, we really want to get sales. These are the people that we want to talk to. Go. That is not a strategy. That is not a plan. That VA is going to let you down. Whenever I get a business owner, it's like, "Ah, I've tried working with three virtual assistants and they're just all so terrible. Who do you recommend? And I'm like, listen, if you've gone through three virtual assistants, it ain't them, it's you. It is the lack of vision. It is the lack of strategy. It is the lack of execution. It's the lack of you taking the time to figure out the foundational basis that you need to actually have effective social media marketing. Because just because you're putting out an Instagram post or just because you have an article on LinkedIn, that's not marketing. That's just content out on the interwebs. What are you actually doing? What are the funnels? Who is your ideal client? How do you speak to them? What are the purpose of your post? What are the pressure points you are leaving? What is the solutions you propose? What is the cultivation? What is the DM schedule? Honey, you need to turn everything over to them. That is a clear cut system. And so I do not just say this for social media marketing. I mean this for anything. In order for somebody to execute on a vision and get results, they must have the plan, they must have the strategy, and they must know how you want it executed. So do I think you can delegate social media to somebody? Absolutely. Absolutely. You better give them the plan. You better give them the strategy. You better tell them who you're speaking to, how you're speaking to, with what frequency, what are the words they use, what are the references that you make? How are you affecting, how are you judging, how are you assessing the efficacy of those posts? Or are you just getting something out? Is your VA's KPI, key performance indicators, is your VA's KPI like, did you post four times on Instagram? If that's your KPI, that's not very good because you could just plug and chug. What is the KPI? What engagement that they're getting? What's the conversion? How many DMs? What funnels did they get put in? Oh, oh, oh we got to get super granular. And on that, so uh, Christy, we're talking about you know how long these tasks take. Christy assigned, she's like, I think this podcast is going to be around 25 minutes. And uh, I don't think it's been 25 minutes. Hold on. Let me see how long it's been. Uh, It's been 31. Okay. So I'm going to wrap it up. I'll wrap it up so I can stay on my schedule today. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jasmine Star Show. If you have any questions like business owners, like from the business owners you heard today, Ask me by shooting a text at jasminestar.com forward slash text me. There you will get access to getting text from me. And you might just get your question answered in a future episode of the podcast. Again, that's jasminestar.com forward slash text me. I can't wait to hear from you. Until next time, I hope you have a beautiful day and I will talk, talk, I'm going to say, it's going to be talk and text. So I'm going to talk to you soon. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.